Hello, and welcome to the Something Rotten Q&A listener write-in special for our Season 3 on Manhunt and Manhunt 2. This is the episode where we're going to hear from you pointing at the camera. Uh, we've got lots of questions that have been written into our email, somethingrottenpodcast at gmail.com, as well as on Twitter, some from the Jacob Geller Discord. They're from all over the place here. Uh, accompanying me on this mission is uh, the rock band master himself, Blake Hester. Uh, Blake, y- you seem bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning. Uh, my tail has never been so bushy in my goddamn life, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Um, you had you had a little rock band party last night. Yeah, went to friend of the show, Ben Hansen's house, or no, Brian Shea's house. Oh God, uh, enemy of the show, Brian Shea's house, and uh, <laughs> did a little rock band. And and here's the thing, Jacob, I haven't drank in th- over three years, but I'm getting to that age now where staying out and eating a bunch of processed food will make me wake up with a hangover, even though I didn't actually get intoxicated. Uh-huh. I feel wild this morning. What was the what was the biggest uh, hit song-wise of the night? Okay, so there was a lot of talk about the finale mm-hmm. of the evening. I don't know if this was a old Game Informer tradition, but it was In the End by Linkin Park. Basically, from the moment we walked in the front door, everyone was like... In the end, Lincoln Park, last song. And I mean, it 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 went off. I'm surprised Shay's house made it through. Like, I, like we <laughs> nearly leveled that house. <laughs> you know, I was on guitar, uh, Alex Van Aken on bass, Brian, Brian Shay, Ben Hansen splitting vocal duties, and Leo Vader on drums. Oh, damn. Which, did you know Leo Vader, like, good at drums? I remember in his uh, one of his all-time great videos, uh, when you slip on a banana peel, yeah. he talked about being like being like ten and thinking he was really good at drums for his age, and then being in high school and being like, I guess I'm kind of bad at drums for my age, and so that was like the only insight <laughs> that I had into Leo playing drums. Well, at the very least, he's good at drums and rock band, and flexed all night by playing on like expert, Damn. expert drums. What Crazy. a truly what a move. I mean, I feel like there is a thing where it's like when you're a kid. There are a lot of people who kind of play instruments, and so the curve is pretty high. And now, now in adulthood, I really don't know that many people who actively play instruments. So, like, I've been taking piano lessons again. I don't think I'm good at piano. I am better than most adults at piano now sure. because they cannot play at all. I, so, um, a few years ago for Vice, I did a oral history of Guitar Hero. And uh, mm-hmm. here's a secret. I hadn't actually played Guitar Hero since I was a kid. In fact... Still, to yesterday playing rock band was the first time I touched those things since I was like fourteen. Uh, but I remember doing that story and interviewing like the uh, the musicians on it, and be like, "So, were you good at Guitar Hero?" And they were like, "Fuck no, it doesn't translate at all." And I was like, "That's weird." Anyway, uh, I, I'd like to think I'm a pretty good guitar player, and when I went to play last night, like it literally, I'm miserable at rock band and guitar hero like i struggle with like medium difficulty three to four buttons like it really fucks my brain i mean it could be it could be like counterproductive to be good at actual guitar (laughs) you know that it's like your instincts are working against you. you so like one of the things i noticed was tripping me up 
was like I could hear, especially a song I knew, I could hear the strumming patterns of the guitar. But because I was playing on something like medium, it wasn't matching that. You know, it was mm-hmm. like it was like more just kind of on the beat as opposed to like playing within the beat. And that was really confusing to me. The hand placements would be kind of confusing. It's a whole thing. Anyway, you want to you want to talk about manhunt? Um, yeah, let's talk about some manhunt. We've got plenty of questions on both manhunt and something rotten as a whole. Uh, let's just jump into it. This is some feedback from the medium Marino. They write. In my opinion, the perfect Manhunt sequel, which not only explores the depths of cruelty a person can inflict, but also how we designate a class of people as enemies to justify said cruelty, would be a Vietnam War game. You could even bring back the Manhunt 1 director feel by having an officer scream orders into your radio the whole time, or watch journalist coverage of your onslaught as the anti-war movement. I know it's a difficult topic that needs sensitive handling, but I feel like the U.S. still does not get enough flack for Vietnam. Absolutely. There definitely have been Vietnam video games, but I don't know that any of them have been what you would want or what Media Marino's pitch what here. It, what, I'm having trouble thinking of Vietnam well, video so games. So Call of Duty has definitely had a few games with call was that black ops yeah and i think the i think the most recent black ops as well um there were vietnam Mm, levels mm -hmm. and then i also googled vietnam video games and you know we got conflict vietnam uh battlefield bad company 2 has some vietnam stuff i suppose oh well they had a big dlc but that was all it was all multiplayer so it was just kind of like oh you can use a flamethrower uh um let's see sorry yeah there's a bunch but i assume none of these are particularly like story driven games and definitely not yeah and i I do feel like the the challenge especially there is like it is such a hard line to walk in a you know in in manhunt manhunt 2 you are uh the oppressor quote-unquote in that you are killing people you know like you have the power to oppress people's lives um but it's not in like a structural sense and i think it's just such a hard uh thing to do to make make a video game where you are like structurally oppressive in the style of like the u.s government in vietnam and not like how do you make sure that the game gets the point is it miserable to play the whole time? Yeah. Is it, you know, like, I, it, it, it just, I I feel like it's probably more suited to a micro indie, I mean, kind of like Hotline Miami 2 has with the, the Hawaii levels, which seem like Vietnam, even though they're not. I um, I was thinking a l- kind of similar, but a little different, like, this is obviously not a perfect analogy because Papers, Please is not a game about war. But you know how, like, Papers, Please deals with some pretty heavy subject matter and can be disturbing. But, like, it also has that, like, kind of gameplay distance between it. I right. think if there's a game almost, like, I, I don't know what it would be. Maybe you're an office worker in D.C., you know, doing some, like, bureaucracy of war. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that might be interesting. I don't know the tasteful, and granted, this podcast is kind of about not tasteful games. I don't know how you make a shooter or something about Vietnam and make it realistic to what happened, 
even in like a way that's pointing the finger at America, which I think is good. And also like in a way that people just could play it like like Vietnam is front to back full of atrocities that I don't just think. Yeah. And you just it's like you'd have to account for the worst people on Earth playing that yeah. game and being like, yeah, you know, I think I think it's pretty telling that uh, Spec Ops the line, the one big budget triple A, uh, you know, anti-war war game that people point to is is using a fictionalized conflict yeah. that like the thing that happens in Spec Ops the line never happened it's it's a fake storyline in dubai because i think there is just and obviously it's playing on you know tropes of america and the middle east and all that but like as soon as you make that real history the idea of it being a first or third person shooter where you're like shooting vietnamese people uh it, it is just horrifying in a way that i kind of don't know that the game would be able to account for. <laughs> but that being said, I mean, I want more anti-war war games for sure. Like, it's it's almost surprising how few of them there are. Yeah, I just don't... It's weird because on the one hand, you know, you've seen plenty of pushback when a game like Call of Duty uses a fictional country as an obvious stand-in for like a real country or real like mm-hmm. part of the part of the world but i also think maybe that's the solution when doing some of this stuff even if like you you're not having like shitty t- stances on things like call of duty like say you're having a good anti-war game i still don't know if you can always just like place it within real conflicts depending on what happened there like i just like, the idea of a Vietnam game sounds interesting. I also don't know if I could stomach playing something like that. If it's, like, a first-person shooter. Yeah, it would... I really do think it would It would have to be a, a visual novel. Yeah. Or, or just some other, like, abstracted through a kind of yeah. gameplay lens. Um, yeah, you know, it's like... I think the problem with Call of Duty using fictional countries isn't that it... Uh, does it in the first place it's just that it claims to then sure not have any meaning behind sure good they're like oh yeah there's no reason we made up that fake country yeah good point we're interrupting this broadcast to let you know that something rotten is dead we're doing what starting immediately something rotten is done finished gone Bon voy freaking Oz, Jacob. This podcast is now a Leo Vader fan cast. Every week, we're covering all the latest, hottest, and juiciest news about the Minneapolis movie maker. And if you've seen him, you best believe there's plenty of hot news to talk about. We're, like, as much as I love him, we're not going to do that. Uh, but if you like Leo so much, have you considered signing up to Nebula? To what now? Nebula. Nebula is this wonderful streaming service run by creators with exclusive videos, podcasts, shows, the whole nine yards. I'm on there. Leo Vader is on there. Blake, you're on there. Is that what these checks are from? My God. Okay, here's the deal. When you sign up to Nebula using our code nebula.tv slash something rotten, you get immediate access to early and ad-free episodes of this show and exclusive bonus podcasts featuring guests such as Noah Caldwell-Gervais, Gareth Damian Martin, and Chris Bratt. You also get access to Nebula's entire catalog of creators and content, and your money goes directly towards us making this show better. Do you think Leo feels about me the way I feel about him? 
I think a better question is, does Leo know you exist? I've literally pooped in his bathroom. I would sure hope so. Um, okay, uh, next up, we have j- truly just a banger question yeah. from at uh, Gravy Gorilla on Twitter. Was the pig guy the first time you saw a dick in a video game? No. But I, well, Blake, you wanna you wanna remind people the who's the pig guy? Yeah, the the final boss. No, well, I guess second to fi- last boss in Manhunt One is a character named Pigsy who's hanging the biggest dick you have ever seen in your damn life. He's a hog man, and he's hanging hog. Yeah, uh, this question rolls. I really had to do some some thinking through the an- annals of history. I did too. I came up with a list, and I I wrote. I wrote the list and I had it as a note and then I took it out of the note because I didn't want you to see it in the script. <laughs> I think my first one was in GTA 4, the DLC Ballad of Gay Tony. Early in that, uh, a mission giver gets up and just does full frontal male nudity. And I remember X-Play mm-hmm. being like, this is crazy. And as a like teenager, I was like, that's kind of cool. All right, let's 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 check it out. And so I did. Yeah, Um Unfortunately, I think the first instance of this is uh, in Custer's Revenge, which is the uh, horribly uh, racist and and misogynist Atari 2600 Hold game. On. How is why is that the first one you saw? Oh, well, I was just thinking first. I mean, it is. I think oh. I saw footage of that game before i played any games with oh that okay that was how i was answering it was like the first no you're right okay i have never i have never played custer's revenge i should make clear (laughs) uh but it is i mean it is a famous uh, i i hate to even talk about it but this is this is an atari 2600 game where you play as i don't know theoretically general custer i guess and you are running across a field of arrows to uh sexually assault a native american woman and you're naked and it's like incredibly i mean it's a it looks like space invaders but like you can see his erect dick in like four pixels it's i mean one of the most like reprehensible pieces of video game media ever made but like it is it it is kind of important in that history if we hosted uh something rotten in like the early 80s on i don't know like local am radio we would do a season on custer's revenge probably it's something rotten game (laughs) a game a game with approximately 12 (laughs) seconds of gameplay that's right we'd unpack it for five weeks um i think the first one that i played that that uh came to mind was in the in the video game dante's inferno uh the last boss which is uh, a game on our on our list or if it's not then it should be because dante's inferno is a classic uh kind of something rotten game um but the the last boss is satan and he's got like a a physics dick you know like he's running around he's kind of covered in fur because he's like a goat man but like he's got a penis i think there was one in outlast too right no like outlast the game not outlast 2 or was it outlast yes yes there was no it well, my I didn't play Outlast two, but no. in Outlast one, you were chased by naked guys who yeah. definitely had had visible penises. Uh, recently, Scorn, uh, the the mm. HR Geiger game, uh, has a has a penis pump. Uh, so, D- Scorn being one of the grossest games I've ever played uh, continues that tradition. I mean, honestly, maybe that's the least gross part of it. 
Uh, Watch Dogs 2, I believe, had penises. Really? Like a, an Ubisoft game? Yeah, they definitely had... A, that game had a lot of nudity, for sure. Um, I think Red Dead 2 had penises? It it seems like it would in those just kind of like there are those weird like uh, cannibal yeah. people who live out in the forest. The the only other one that I came up with uh, that I mean it's like you can look people have made lists of them, but one of the funniest uh, Reddit posts I've ever seen is on the on the Skyrim Reddit. It was clearly not posted as like a look at this this is so funny but the name of the post was just how do i unstall the mod schlongs of skyrim <laughs> and it was a guy who had downloaded like a mod pack and one of them was this mod that gave all the male characters big old dicks um and and he was like how do i get rid of this mod that's so funny uh i also just remembered the conan game with the the dick slider yes yeah uh-huh. Uh Cyberpunk. There are there are lots of games with a bulge slider. Yeah. You know, like Saints Row, Cyberpunk, but you 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 often just see the underwear. I'm on R slash video games looking at a thread. What are some video games that had full frontal male nudity in them? Forgot about Cyberpunk. There's all kinds of dick in that game. Is there? Because I know but do you see it on your character or do you just see it from other people? I think you could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you I don't know, I played as a a woman because mm-hmm. i'm an ally that's right congratulations <laughs> um anyway i mean it's it is a you know it's fun to talk about because we're boys and we like talking about dicks but also <laughs> like yeah. it is one of those just things of like you know we could name games with boobs in them for yeah. uh, 20 minutes and it's like we do have like seven or eight games uh, <laughs> that have full frontal male nudity um next question comes from caleb they write the Manhunt Duology are two titles in a pretty robust lineage of games that conceptually tackle player-inflicted violence on a game world. Many of these games have become well-known, such as Spec Ops The Line, Undertale, The Last of Us Part Two, and Dishonored. Does the Manhunt Duology seem to have any insights on the topic that these other games lack? Furthermore, what separates these games from quote-unquote asshole simulators, phrase stolen from Noah Caldwell-Gervais, like the Postal Games and Hatred? It seems like developers have to walk a fine line between having something meaningful to say on the subject and being needlessly edgy for its own sake. I think tackling the second part first is you, your main character needs to not, like, derive joy from the killing. Yeah. And then it's pretty quickly just not an asshole simulator. You know what I'm saying? Like, like as grisly as Manhunt is, you never get the sense James or Daniel are stoked about what they're doing. Although... You do get so so uh real quick, Asshole Simulators is uh is this video that Noah Caldwell Gervais made, who's uh, an incredibly good mm. video essayist, where he talked about the postal games uh as well as did he talk about hatred in that game? I don't remember. Or did he just talk about postal? Uh but but postal for those who don't know is is a game that's like fun, you know, fun violence. It's yeah. like it's you know, you're you're running around like dousing people in gasoline and setting them on fire and laughing at it in a way that's kind of you know very very edgy as as they write i think that part of 
part of Manhunt 2 being so unappealing as a media property is that it towed that line a little Yeah, more. I guess so. Where where like you had you had the um God, I already can't remember what his Leo. Uh, alternate personality Leo Leo seemed like psyched about yeah. it. And the interesting thing about Manhunt 1 was that you did not feel like you were like like the man playing you know the person you were controlling wasn't an asshole but the director watching it was and so it was almost like someone using your life experiences as a second-hand asshole simulator you know with the with the snuff angle so you know i think i think deriving joy from it is a is a great definition of like where that where that line is drawn what do you what do you think about the first here the first part of the question. I don't I don't know because I almost feel like what Manhunt 1 is interested in I think is is less explicitly the impacts of violence and more the the influence of media, you know, yeah. that it's like Manhunt's commentary comes from the fact that what you are doing is theoretically being recorded and distributed as a snuff film. And so it's almost like it makes the actual kills less important in the commentary mm -hmm. than the fact that it is being recorded. Whereas the last of us and spec ops and whatever, like those are games that are focused on the victims, mm -hmm. you know, like the commentary in those games is that the people who you are killing did not, maybe deserve to die well except in dishonored i guess but it's you know i still don't think i don't think dishonored is specifically like all these people yeah. you know dishonored is still like like uh putting a lot of death into the world makes the world worse. well yeah if and you, i don't if, think that's if you play dishonored right like your kill count is extremely low or zero if you really go for it yes um, yeah i think like manhunt is not super interested in like, especially Manhunt 1 is not super interested in any specific person you kill or mm -hmm. even grappling with the idea that you're taking someone's life. Like, we talked about, like, death is meaningless in Manhunt's world, and that's the message it's unpacking. Like, the world and the people you're inflicting violence on are just kind of, like, ones and zeros to get that message across. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, and... and through extension of that idea you know i think it could be talking about how uh casual and meaningless violence is when put through the lens of media you know yeah. if you are if you were kind of watching the snuff film of manhunt it's like you don't care about anyone who died because you're just kind of getting off on watching the film itself um and so you know if if you wanted to give rockstar i think the most credit that you could with this analysis it would be that they are kind of being critical about games and violent media as a whole of like not actually taking responsibility for the the victims of the people but you do have to do a lot of work to get there as you just heard us do all right the next question is from Sir Galehot. Uh, this is this is a kind of fascinating one. 
In your new episode, you state that this was a couple weeks ago, but in your new episode, you state that Manhunt is about the director. The director isn't the one behind it all. It's, quote, Mr. Nasty. The Manhunt website gave that clue back then. And then Sir Galehot has linked to this YouTube video of, I believe, a now defunct website that was one of these in-universe websites set up around Manhunt's release where it was theoretically advertising the game, but in practice, like, looks looks like something that you might find in Carcer City. Blake is looking at it right now and has a, a fairly stunned expression on his face. I, okay, so we pontificated, we speculated whether or not, like, real shock sites were an influence on this, and I clicked into this video, and I can tell you, someone at Rockstar had to spend some time on some fucked up websites. Like, the visceral reaction, like, like the way this shot my brain back in time to some of the worst <laughs> websites on the planet. Just, like, not what it's actually showing, just, like, the website <laughs> layout design and the way right. it's, like, like the, the verbiage they chose to use. God, some poor intern probably had to look at, like, pages of rotten.com and like style project for or this. they were like hey i'm already a big fan of these i'll do it <laughs> this um, is so wild but anyway on on this question of mr nasty this is from the manhunt wiki mr nasty is the name given to a mysterious unseen character mentioned in the valiant video enterprises winter slash spring catalog which is the instruction manual for manhunt he is technically the quaternary but overarching antagonist of the game. Wow. And he's also mentioned on this website. This is, I, I think, a good opportunity to talk about um, this kind of <laughs> this kind of thing uh, annoys me a little bit. I did not not the question. I think this is yep. interesting, and I also think the website is interesting. Yep. But like, if if the piece of media itself does not do anything to uh reveal that that there is a different antagonist or make you understand why that would matter then like you know the if mr nasty is or is not behind it all it functionally does not matter i think in an analytical reading of manhunt because what are you supposed to do like you know not take the game as word like you know the the game is about the director telling you to do things, and if suddenly the director isn't the antagonist, then I feel like the thematic core of the game it kind of falls out of it. Yeah, I agree. I don't particularly like when games or media like almost like expect you to do this extra homework around them to like get it. It's mm -hmm. like this this website's cool. I don't understand why it's necessary for me to get like the real antagonist behind manhunt it's interesting for sure i'm i'm glad the this was written in and shown to us but doesn't do much for my appreciation of the game's story my my guess is if you ask one of the writers of the game they would say the director is the antagonist yeah. of the game mr nasty is just gesturing at this idea that the uh you know the director is not working in isolation, and there is a network of people who want to see this filth, and, and you know, he's distributing it, or whatever. And so the the gesture at a broader world of 
of kind of snuff distribution, I think is fine and works with the themes. The problem more being like, you know, if you don't put something in the text of the thing itself, then it's hard to include it as as part of the analysis. I do really like the fact this website has what appears to be an extensive fake forum on it. Uh-huh. That's really cool. Like, the majority of this 16-minute video is just the forum. Uh, that's really neat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it feels like there would be an ARG attached yeah. to it. And I don't know if there was or not, or if this was just, they just had fun building this yeah. thing. Um, here's our next question from Clover Darling. They write, why do you think Rockstar made the decision to develop Manhunt 2 for the Wii in the first place? Was it because of motion controls? Do you think that the opposition to the game due to being a Wii game was a surprise to them? Great question. <laughs> what? Why do you think they made it a Wii game? Um, I think Nintendo wanted a Rockstar game on their big platform, to be honest. Do you really? I think so, probably. I mean, I really just think, like, I, I don't think... I don't think games are put on platforms often for artistic reasons. Rather, they adapt to the business decisions made that get their games there. I don't think Rockstar was like, we got to do the Wii because it has motion controls. I think there was like a way more boring reason. Well, what I guess what I was thinking was twofold. Um, uh -huh. One, we know Manhunt was delayed or Manhunt 2 was delayed a lot. And I do think that um, it's essentially a last-gen game if mm -hmm. you think about the fact that it came out in the same year as GTA 4, which came out on the 360 and PS3 and everything. Um, and so it was released on the PS2 and the Wii. I do feel like, in part, it was a PS2 game, and yeah. then they realized that the level of graphical quality on the Wii essentially worked with the game that they had already been making mm -hmm. um i also think uh the wii had a massive massive install base yeah you know the wii's one of the best-selling consoles of all time and so i do think that they thought you know we're not releasing gta 4 on this incredibly uh prolific platform should we release something should we have you know a piece of rockstar media represented on the wii yeah i guess i should have said that i could see it either way either nintendo wanted a rockstar game on it or rockstar wanted a, a one of their games on a nintendo platform because i mean there are a, a shockingly few number of m-rated games yeah. on the wii you know i remember having having resident evil 4 wii edition was a big deal for me, not just because it was uh, the greatest game ever made, but also because, like, you know, I was playing a game with blood on the Wii, and that was that was just, like, a big deal that felt yeah. kind of novel. Yeah. Do you think that the opposition surprised them? This is this is another good question. Do you think that they were taken by... No. Nope? No, definitely not. I think everyone and their mother in that office knew that was going... You had to! Like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of smart people that work at Nintendo that are very dedicated to the brand's image in ways that are truly baffling. Um, well, okay, I, I guess, think, I, think, I think the question is asking about Rockstar, uh, not Nintendo. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, no to like, both. It's, it's Nintendo. When you think of Nintendo, you think, like, one of your first thoughts will always be family-friendly 
uh, either as a concept or just games that are family friendly in general. Like the, Nintendo has mm-hmm. done such work to like make sure the idea of family friendly games is intrinsically tied to their brand name that like you yeah. would have to be a like an astounding dumbass to not think putting out a game like Manhunt 2 on the Wii wouldn't cause blowback. I'm sure Rockstar totally expected it and to some degree may have wanted it because, you know, as the as the idea goes, that can be good for any media's like sales. I don't know if it was in this case. I mean, and I I would say we would certainly not be talking about Manhunt 2 if it wasn't for that controversy because it's not a good game yeah. <laughs> it's not interesting to play also like manhunt one went through the ringers there was no way rockstar didn't foresee a sequel to manhunt one having kind of i don't know like i guess to the questions point i don't know that like they w- thought it was going to be this big a deal with the ao rating and etc but like yeah there's no way you thought you were going to just drop that on the Wii and everyone would be like, oh, that, that's fine. My grandma has a Wii. Yeah, I, lo- I love making the stabbing motion. Yeah. I Something that I'm frequently sad about on the internet is I can't find, um, uh, like, copies or, or archived versions of print ads for mm. video games. It's something that I've tried to look for a couple times. And maybe, I, I think it's possible that something like the Video Game History Foundation has archived them and they're maybe just not searchable in the way that I'm looking. Yeah. But, like, I would love to see what magazine ads for Manhunt 2 looked like. Oh, you know, sure. what was their pitch? Were they pitching it, like, with motion controls? Were they? Did they think that that was going to be, like, a big selling point? Or were they just, like, can you believe they made another Manhunt? Yeah. The de- this is an aside, but when when uh, the Video Game History Museum and Foundation what's the what's the actual mm-hmm. name? Is it just Video Game? History? I think it's I think it's that foundation. Whenever they finally, because I think this is the plan, like release their digital archive in a way to the public in a way that's like easily searchable and accessible, it's gonna be a massive day for every old there. day. Yeah, yeah. I'm so hyped for that. Um, they great great organization. Yeah. Uh, they do do good work i always think about this is uh, i'm sorry now i'm just thinking about um print ads there was an ad campaign for hitman blood money probably i don't think it was absolution and and it was in game informer you know that i was reading as a kid and it would say like a beautiful kill and it would have like a woman in like a cocktail dress spread out and there'd just be like a bullet hole in her forehead and it was like a picture of a real person and it wasn't like it wasn't the most graphic but it was like just a picture of a woman with a a, a, a hole in her head and yeah. i was just like you can just put this in a magazine actually like, <laughs> i'm a little surprised uh, i work at for for listeners who don't know i work at game informer now i can tell you well we wouldn't know about the ad before it went in because that's not how editorial teams work 
Uh, but I could tell you if that happened these days, when that magazine came out and we all saw it, that would not go over well. We would be extremely. Yo, you're not upset. advertising the Dead Island torso no. statue. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly days. surprised that did make it in. That seems like something that Reiner McNamara would have shut down. It was, yeah. I I wonder if I've got you know, it's like I've got a collection of of Game Informers from like, you know, 2007 to 2000. 10 or 11 or so but i haven't been able to find that ad again weird stuff speaking of tasteless video game ads this real quick story just because i meant to send you this uh i was at brian chase last mm-hmm. night and he had a promotional max Payne 3 thing that they gave out which was just a uh-huh. a pill sorter i'm sending you a picture of this <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um, it's very funny wow honestly what what if I like gave that to my grandma? It's kind of cool, yeah. Kinda. Except it doesn't have like the number of days of the week, so I don't. You know, it would, you would you'd have to come up with a new sorting way to put them in M A X P A Y N E three. M is Monday. There you go. Yeah, but there are too many boxes. Wait, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even think. You got a week and two days. <laughs> Let's move on. Okay. Uh, Devish Singh asks, uh, now that we're a couple seasons in, what are the broad criteria for rottenness? And what differentiates Manhunt from Manhunt 2 or Kane and Lynch 2 from the first? Is it a qu- question of game quality or aesthetic presentation? Thus far, the games covered are all third-person shooters or third-person shooter-adjacent games. Are there games from other genres, e.g. horror, that you deem rotten, or does the moniker especially fit this one? Um, at this point, every Something Rotten game is over a decade old. Are there modern examples of games you deem rotten? Uh, was there something about the aughts, early 10s, popular culture? Yeah, so a lot of, lot of questions in there, but I do think it's it's asking about kind of the core of this series, which is what makes a rotten game. Yeah, and generally we just leave whatever game we're going to play out on our uh, shelf for about two weeks, and then once it's nice and rancid. <laughs> yeah, the, don't refrigerate it. Don't cover it in saran wrap. I, I don't know that there's like, it's kind of like a gut feeling we both share, where it's like one of us will th- come to the other and be like, because we have a spreadsheet of like potential games we want to play. It's like, hey, this game seem rotten? Nah. What about this one? Oh, that's rotten to the core. <laughs> you know, it's not like a, it's not a defined thing. Usually they do like meet like hyper violence, nihilism, and some degree of like grittiness or dirtiness. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they don't all have to be violent in the same way, if that makes sense. It's not like it has to have this many gallons of blood. Yeah. To- to be something rotten and i mean i do think it is it is an interesting question if we're planning to keep this going that it's like we'll have to expand our definition Mm -hmm. a little as we go on because there are not many games that fit exactly the manhunt canaan lynch 2 mode of like this game is about nothing except violence uh which which was kind of the the original pitch and now i think we are more looking at games that that have interesting ideas about violence mm-hmm. and and are you know are saying something about it the point of old games i do think is is an important aspect of these because i think part of it kind of has to do with is unpolished the word like what 
you know, no. it's it's not because like Max Payne three is polished, but I feel like there is there is an aspect of rawness to to the violence in the games that we're talking about. Yeah, that, but that feels I don't know that feels more coincidental to me. Like to quickly answer the second part of this question, uh, we're definitely going to do more beyond third person shooters because the next season is a first person shooter. And, like, that game yeah. feels polished to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't feel yeah. particularly raw. Yeah, and obviously Max Payne 3 is a yeah. very polished game. And other games on our lists are also, there's, like, there's some, like, pretty pretty big AAA shit on here. So I think, like, the rawness or the, like, kind of jankiness, maybe, is, like, more just kind of a coincidence. And I would say Manhunt 2 also is, like, not a very janky game. Like, it's a pretty competently made Thing. yeah i guess i mean it's like it's so it's so boring right that I'm like, right, Can right. You call this polish sure. but it's yeah it doesn't break um i do think that the the time period is important just in terms of the era the video game industry was in you know as we've talked about there is this point where games wanted to get more mature but seemingly did not see much of a way forward in that other than becoming more violent you yeah. know that that mature meant just inappropriate and violence is the inappropriateness that most games speak with and now you know like i i think generally games are just they're they're interested in doing a little more you know when you think about god of war ragnarok which i think is a great game uh it certainly is a game with a lot of violence and in many ways a game about violence but it's not it's not a rotten game because that you know it's it's just a little too uh too thoughtful about it yeah know? on the other hand i don't think we are ever gonna play this one but like the last of us part two would probably be an okay something rotten game we we bring it up i mean yeah it it certainly the issue with doing that is just like what do you say about that game at this point but like yeah and that we would probably have to play the last of us part one first you know, if we're doing it and it's like, I don't want to fucking yeah. talk. I, it's, I, I have been waterboarded with The Last of Us Part 1 for the past 10 years of my life. I don't need to talk more about it. Uh, but yeah. But that is an example of like a recent game that would theoretically fit the bill pretty well. Um, yeah, and I do think the the reception of that game speaks to how people were like, Jesus Christ. You know, this this, this is the game that you've spent... 200 million dollars in like seven years making and here's the thing we're in a bit of we're in the fourth or fifth last of us renaissance right now last of us part two still the better game story overall it's great uh, we'll see i mean though they're making the the next next season of the tv show will be last of us part two see what they do with that yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be 82 episodes long because like you can't play <laughs> as abby and so the whole point of the game isn't gonna make any fucking sense um okay uh Catherine asks many mon excuse me many modern military games feature heavy use or reference to drone strikes and air vehicle support Call of Duty has brought the likes of the AC-130 to popular knowledge and gameplay with these weapons, uh, and the gameplay with these weapons feature an extremely close resemblance to real-life footage of combat. Uh, Manhunt sparked massive controversy with its depictions of extreme violence, but I was curious about your thoughts as to the effects of large amounts of distance between the player-slash-audience and the violence, as opposed to Manhunt to, or Manhunt's extremely intimate depiction. 
Um, let's let's answer that and then there's more to this question that i do want to read because i think it's thoughtful but just uh you know just to talk about it put simply the distance actually bothers me more um there's sure. there's uh what is the most recent call of duty modern warfare 2 is that what it's yeah. called uh there's <laughs> yeah, a of course call of duty modern warfare 2 don't you remember <laughs> yeah there's a ac 130 i've played the original one but like there's there's a one in the most recent Call of Duty, which is kind of an homage to the famous AC-130 mission. And, like, I was... I mean, it's a shitty mission, just, like, from a design standpoint. It's too long. It's 45 minutes long, yeah. Uh, But it, like, was probably the thing in a video game that disturbed me the most in the last year or two. Like, I did not... For the same reasons the AC-130 mission is famous, I do not like the cold disconnect of the characters and the actions. Of course, I don't think Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 does anything interesting with that, other than, like, wink and nudge the fact they did it 12 years ago. But, like, as a player, it bothered me. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up, because I do think the original AC-130 mission in COD 4, like, Modern Warfare was saying essentially exactly like it was making a commentary on how disturbing it is you know like i think i think that mission actually did a really good job being like you know the the previous missions that you've been playing are so up close and in person and then going to this completely detached black and white view and having a really kind of impersonal voice telling you you're hitting things was you know like before that was a trope it was kind of a, you know, a poignant thing. And, and I gave the game credit yeah. at that time for, for doing something interesting with it. But as we've seen with the Call of Duty franchise, since then, it has become a kill streak. It has yeah. been in many subsequent games. It's, you know, they've they've kind of thrown variations. They've made it more futuristic. And now it feels like the... They it's don't, they, yeah, it's like they don't have anything more to say about it. It's yeah. like the most generous you could be to the mission in Modern Warfare 2 is that it's saying the same thing as Modern Warfare 1 did 12 years ago, but like it doesn't do it as well. So, yeah, so it's it's hard to say that they're saying anything with it. I think there's a broader case of like also when the when Call of Duty did it the first time, that was when like. Not to bring up this old chestnut, like that live leak footage of the real AC-130 type Uh attacks was coming out. And I think that was even on the news. And I remember that being a very shocking thing for people to see in real life. And so Call of Duty doing it, like, inherently carried more weight. I think, like, as a culture, we're just so much more attuned and accustomed to war footage that, like... Even if Call of Duty tried to say something, I don't know if it was going to have the same impact. The broader issue is that mission just seems to be like a old band playing one of the hits rather than an yeah. Attempt I to mean, do I anything. think you know, I I think when it when when the public initially realized there was this change to war, mm-hmm. it was for a time, you know, pretty shocking. If you're still picturing war as essentially saving private ryan or you know vietnam or something where it's like individual people walking to individual houses and doing stuff and instead you see this video that looks like a video game of just like clicking on something and it dies um i you know (laughs) 
here's here's a weird story from my life. Um, uh, a while ago, when when I was kind of in and recently out of college, I would do case studies because I live near a university and they pay money, and I uh, was poor. Um, mm. I wasn't poor, I, but I was. I you know I was I was not going to turn down a hundred dollars for doing something weird um i seem to remember this like i think you were still doing this when we first met it's possible um but uh, one of these things that i did was uh at I, i i went down to some you know university basement and there was a guy and he had what was essentially a survey drone mini game thing where it was on a computer and the 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 thing that you had to do was kind of move drones from like one point to another and you had like five that you were working with at the same time and sometimes they were like broadcasting gps coordinates but sometimes they would be scrambled and you would have to pay attention to see when the drone was no longer broadcasting the coordinates that it should have been over so it's just this kind of like you know like multitasking thing um i did it and i you know whatever i I played the game uh they they paid me but they had told me at the beginning um you know you'll get 40 dollars for doing this and then if you uh if you get the highest score we'll give you another 40 dollars which is as someone who's done research design like you just want to give people an incentive to do well weeks later I got a call from them saying, hey, man, not only did you get the highest score that day, you you got the highest score of anyone who did this case study. I was Gamers. I was the single best drone pilot that they ever had. And it was because it was like I was just playing a video game. I was like, I understand the rules and how to maximize yeah. this. And, you know, it is it is no secret that the military has recruited based on kind of pitching this as a game and i believe they have even like used xbox 360 controllers to control drones and stuff like this so the the difference between these things is much narrower than the difference between using the wii remote to make like a stabbing motion you know yeah uh i Um, remember going to uh, one of the years i went to gdc um i covered a talk from a veteran who uh, was not stoked on video games and their impact on war. Um, I remember Mm -hmm. actually catching a lot of flack for this article. It was on Rolling Stone. And uh, I basically just put a quote of his in the headline and everyone had a bad read of it. But his, his pitch was video game war is like, I don't remember what he said, X amount of times more violent than real war. And he doesn't mean that in the sense that, like, obviously, if you kill one person, that is a more violent act than killing a million people in a video game. That's not what he Mm -hmm. was saying. But what he was saying was kids join the military, and I believe his quote was to do Call of Duty shit, you know? Yeah. And that's just not how war operates, obviously. You're a fucking idiot if you think you're going to go in there and be like, so goddamn McTavish. Uh, mm-hmm. riding on fucking like jet skis shooting bad guys um, but like that was his idea was like video games have created this theater of war that is like and movies too of course to some degree but like they've allowed players to have these like kind of killed the brown person fantasies that they think 
is like pe- the kids start signing up to the military to do it in real life, which is highly right. disturbing and a little different than what we were talking about with like the drones and video game controllers. But there's like point being, there's a direct effect the game industry is having on the the, the fucking military complex, and it's not great. I mean, and the and the military knows it, and yeah. that's why they fund video games. You yeah. know, it's like it's not it's not like the army is surprised by this. Yeah. I think you know in like in context of people getting mad at that headline there is a really tricky thing when talking about games and violence which is that many many gamers especially kind of older ones are so uh kind of scarred from the jack thompsons of the world the kind of like video games cause violence directly and that's why we need to ban video games that that they have almost a gut reaction to anything talking about video games and violence even though i think it's a really important thing to talk about and even though i don't think playing manhunt makes you go out and kill someone i also don't think that we consume media in a vacuum you know i do think Mm -hmm. it impacts our views of the world and and that is just kind of like people don't want to have that conversation because they're essentially worried that it will be used as a weapon against them that if you start talking it then bad talking about it then bad faith actors will be like ah yes this is why school shootings happen if if this podcast is about anything it's really about like re-examining violence in video games and maybe saying hey like there we should we should not just brush this off one day we should talk about like when trump got shown that hypercut of video games I think that'd oh be it. I right. I have some real thoughts on that that I've been afraid to talk about, but maybe <laughs> we should talk about that one day if we ever do like um, a war game or something. I want to I want to finish reading uh, Catherine's uh, question just because it's it's good. Um, they say audiences are able to distance themselves from the violence. These weapons are almost are almost always use IR thermal cameras, which depict blood and gore in black and white, as opposed to the red you might see on a regular camera. The UK Army has even had televised advertisements that feature soldiers using Xbox 360 controllers for some purposes. Whether that be controlling autonomous vehicles or otherwise, it never specifies. There's definitely a part of me that would argue that having a gruesome and realistic depiction of violence and its effects does more to steer people away from violence than serve as instructional. Um, Yeah, so I, uh, I, I, I think it's a... I think this question is kind of bang on in terms of what conversations we have had in the past and maybe what conversations we should be having instead yeah great question bingo asks based on the app so far it really feels like this is the least interesting series you played but that's just my takeaway i'd love Mm. to hear what you want future games to take away from this franchise as inspiration and if there's something here you don't want to see in other games or if there's something here you don't see in other games. Sorry. I like this question because it was not my take at all. Like, I think the first Manhunt is very fascinating. Um, I guess if I were to rank the series of most interesting, though, maybe Max Payne, honestly, would be the one I would say is the least interesting thematically to me. Um, maybe. I mean, we've also just been talking about Max Payne 3 for, like, yeah. 10 years just per- <laughs> like we had already done that podcast before yeah. we did the podcast well i'll say um i i definitely think that i mean as we said manhunt i think is the series that we would never go back to playing outside the podcast yeah. that that both of us i think 
enjoyed the act of playing it the least out of all of them. You know, though though Kane and Lynch 1 is also a awful game to play, and I think fairly uninteresting. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's hard to say. But what do you want future games to take away from this franchise as inspiration? I mean, so, this is a boring answer, but similar to Kane and Lynch 2, just, like, doing different things with video game cameras. <laughs> like, I think this game, mm-hmm. I think the first Manhunt, like, has interesting ideas about the role of a camera in a video game's world that I like quite a bit. Um, I also feel like, I don't know that I need more games made about, like, snuff films or like uh, some shadowy cabal of snuff industry Uh, but i do like the idea of video games exploring violence in ways that like resonate with me in ways that like something like god of war 2018 doesn't you know i don't like really buy into that game yeah you know if if manhunt manhunt is about violence through media which is how most of us experience violence yeah you know like that that that's this is how we see it we don't you know get get beat up (laughs) yeah and and obviously and obviously there have been games afterwards that have like done interesting things with violence like hotline miami for example um Mm -hmm. the last of us part two i don't really read as a game about violence even though that's what everyone kind of says it's about oh and it's yeah and it's certainly not about media yeah 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 (laughs) they don't have electricity so like movies it feels like movies have been so obsessed forever with like media like movies have been obsessed with making movies about movie violence in our relationship to it like ichi the killer is a great example uh cannibal holocaust that we have talked about a few times yeah videodrome um i would i would like more games about video game or about media violence in general, uh, in ways that feel actually resonant in the way that Manhunt does. Um, I have a, a mechanical one, mm-hmm. which is, and I don't, I don't want this to be just taken directly, but I do think it's a fascinating idea. Just the whole like uh, level of kill that Manhunt is built around, yeah. where where you have the, you know, you sneak up behind someone and you have the white reticules which is kind of a boring kill and then the yellow one which is a little more involved and then the red one which is completely over the top and and leaving that up to the player to decide how they do it you know like it it almost the only other games i can think that do something like this are like hitman you know where you can decide how you kill a person but i do think it's very interesting to just have like a (laughs) A kind of like how how gross do you want this to be button? You want it to be all the way gross or you want it to be just a little gross? One of my favorite things that a game can do, uh you know, like meshing its its themes and its story and, and mechanics is when um you've previously been playing one way and then the story makes you play a different way, where it's you know, essentially it's like, oh, I've been playing really methodically maybe i've been stealthing through the whole mission maybe i've been like only killing the people i need to and then something big happens to the character and you're like fuck it i'm yeah. gonna you know just like annihilate these people yeah it is a really you know it's like it's cool when a game impacts me enough that i can like feel myself changing my gameplay behavior because of it absolutely also more plastic bags 
and video games cool web. or plastic bags um gretchen says uh oh this is this is just kind of a comment but i i thought it was really interesting um uh, it was a great games game games to hear you two talk about i'm glad that others share the same sort of sentiment for how decent one is for a weird dirty project by a big shot studio I always compared it to how Hitchcock made The Birds and Vertigo before making a very bare-bones psycho. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that analogy. Um, I, I think, yeah, we, we talked about how, you know, Rockstar certainly made more games in the past, you know, that were, that were not GTA or Red Dead level. But, um, yeah, that's... It's a thing that makes Manhunt stand out. You know, if it was made by a studio that just kind of vanished, mm. I don't think people would talk about it nearly as much. For sure. You seen uh, you seen those Hitchcock movies? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Psycho They're rolls. good stuff. I don't actually think I've seen Vertigo. Definitely seen Psycho. I watched it in my high school film studies class. I remember it very mm-hmm. vividly. I've seen The Birds. Birds famously doesn't have a soundtrack did you know that i didn't know that i've seen it but i didn't i yeah i didn't think there was that. there was it, i guess hitchcock's idea was to make a movie as engaging so engaging visually that he didn't need to use music to kind of influence hmm. like the viewer and tell them what they should be thinking pretty sure it was which is it also also you know fascinating in context of psycho which has the most famous movie score of all time maybe yeah 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 yeah. that's a good point yeah uh yeah there's no musical score for the film at all only diegetic sound and the real and electronic noise of birds uh hitchcock like rockstar games uh treating people like shit in order to make great art that's right (laughs) that's right i always I think about one of my favorite things about Psycho is the the opening credit design is so cool. I'm a big I'm a big sucker for like graphically interesting credits. Yeah. And Psycho has just like an all timer. I uh, I saw a movie recently that had a really good opening credit sequence. It was uh, Infinity Pool. That's a bad movie, but the opening credits. It honestly, you know what it looked like was The Verge. The website, their new layout and design. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what Infinity Pool's opening credits looks like. It's very cool. I'm into it. Philly Eat Steak writing in with a comment saying, Remember the, well, I guess it is a question. Remember the postcards Rockstar used to include in their games? I don't. Tell me more, Philly, for signing up for a newsletter or something. But one of the questions was something like, In 10 words or less, what is wrong with the world? Definitely a weird, weird edge lord vibe. That rules. That's so funny. I don't remember that. That's so much better than having to like remember my login info for the Rockstar Social Club every time God. I want to play Max Payne Three. Yeah. Um, Cosmic Horror Goblin. Can you do a companion series called Something Fresh about games that make you feel like you've just got out of the shower? Yeah, it's gonna be a Nebula exclusive. A lot more of y'all have to sign up for us to. That's do right. <laughs> something fresh. It's coming. What would name name one something fresh game? Uh, Stardew Valley. Never played. Stardew Honestly, Valley. recently, Hi Fi Rush. Hi Fi yeah. Rush made me feel like I just come out of the shower. Yeah. All right. Uh, Bandage Penguin asking a big question, a common question, but one I've been thinking about. Uh, since seeing this one come in. Do you think that violence in games desensitizes people to violence in the real world? 
I don't. I think the fear is they do. But I don't think they... I, I So I was thinking about the time yesterday, Jacob. If I can be dark. Mm-hmm. The first time yes. I remember seeing someone actually die. I was... Uh, in in a video? Yeah, yeah. Like not, on not, recorded? Yeah, not in real life or anything. It was on TV and it was unexpected. It wasn't particularly gory, but it was like a woman being shot. Like, just like on cable TV. For whatever reason, Jesus. they was showed this, it. It was like a news program? I, I don't really remember. I just remember seeing it happen and the way her body dropped. And, like, I was, like, 16, had played a ton of violent video games at that point. Had seen movies like Cannibal Holocaust and Guinea Pig and Ichi and all this shit. And there, I don't even think it, it you saw any blood in the video. And I remember it fucked me up. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, peak edgelord, like, kid... I could not handle it, and I still really struggle with it. Like, we, I, I think what desensitizes people to violence in the real world is seeing violence in the real world. And in 2023, like, that has just become part of our daily life if we are live on the internet at all, which Jacob and I have jobs and livelihoods based around the internet. Yesterday, I logged into Twitter and saw videos of the, you know, um, the protester who was shot, um, the climate protester who was shot in, um, mm-hmm. I don't remember where. Um, and you don't actually see it happen, but you see cops shooting, like a gunfight happening, you know, and that would have yeah. been, would have been in 2003, you didn't log into the internet and unintentionally see that. You had to go to very specific places. Yeah, I had, I had kind of a similar experience when I was probably around 16 as well um the the now defunct uh museum mm-hmm. uh the news museum in washington dc um had a i i went there uh with my mom um and and there was a section that had like all the i, I think pulitzer prize winning photographs it might have been a different award i'm not sure but um that had been taken you know for like you know 50 years or whatever uh and a lot of those photographs are uh horrifying in a way that is hard to describe you know yeah. like the the classic one is like that starving child with the vulture nearby oh, um yeah, yeah. but but a lot of them are people dying yeah. stuff like saigon execution that we talked about um mm-hmm. and and i also came out of there just kind of completely rattled and i think it's important to bring these things up because i also i agree with you in that i feel now like i am desensitized to violence Mm -hmm. and i hate it but i don't think it's because of games i think it's because of uh, of social media essentially like of of the world that that we have lived in for long enough now that you know like on on reddit there will be like you know r slash catastrophic failure and i'll be like oh cool this is a video of like a big crane falling down and it's like yeah and it falls down on like a you know five cars yeah and and it's just kind of like you know that that sort of like just casual witnessing death it's it's a it's a tricky thing i I, i've been working on a story recently in a freelance capacity that like no way to admit this in a nice way has meant I've had to like look at some death footage. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I, I've been clocking the ways I'm desensitized and not and like looking at autopsy footage, like pictures. I was like, it does 
washes over me at this point. It's like, I can just click on it, see it, be like, there's the thing. Okay. Um, But I remember like watching, it was, it was a blurred out video where you couldn't see anything. Like, thankfully, because like they just spared the viewer. Um, I was looking into some like stuff that exists on YouTube covering like violent acts and they blurred the footage, but I could hear it. And mm-hmm. like it fuck like I I I, I oh well yeah I, I often audio is gonna be way yeah, worse. I thought I was gonna have like a panic attack watching this thing. This was like a few weeks ago. Um, fucked mm-hmm. me up for like a day. And so like video games, no matter what you show me, it, and in movies, honestly, it's not gonna bother me. You as a human, like there are still points of violence. Like you hopefully will never be desensitized to that even just the audio of it will destroy you. And the tricky thing about talking about it is like, on the one hand, I don't want to say stuff like this shouldn't, it shouldn't exist in the sense that like people should not be murdered. On the other hand, I think there's value in death footage existing in the public. I don't like the idea of like dudes who run like shitty Reddit boards being like, this is the real world. You shouldn't hide from it, pussy. It's like, fuck yeah. off, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, like we talked about with the drone thing yeah. previously, it's like, people should know that war doesn't look like the picture in their head anymore. Yes. That is important cultural knowledge. There is value to being confronted by the realities of how horrifying some of the world is. And it's mm-hmm. like, so it's one of those things where it's like, I don't want the footage to exist, but I also think in some cases it's valuable for that footage to exist and for us to be horrified by it. Yeah, and I, I you know, I think I think it, it is, I wouldn't want to make a universal rule for it, yeah, yeah. but it is the distinction between, you know, war footage, footage of, uh, you know, the various killings that kind of have, have uh, spurred on the Black Lives Matter movement, yeah. you know, it's like, that is, is politically important if mm-hmm. horrifying a video of a crane falling down and killing people it's not valuable it does not yeah. do anything except make me feel gross for watching it 100 um but uh, hey maybe if i worked for osha i would be like people should know that these regulations exist for a reason so <laughs> it's it's hard to know i don't think video games desensitize people to violence because i think even if you think you're desensitized to it you're not if you see the right thing you'll learn you're you can handle shit in video games you don't want to see in real life i think the issue is actually the way video games glorify violence and Mm -hmm. and this ties back to what we were talking about with like the way the military industry and video games are in bed with each other at this point like war games romanticizing and glorifying violence in foreign countries i think is a way worse problem than manhunt being kind of nasty which i don't think is a problem at all yeah that's a that is an interesting perspective and it does you know it it essentially links video games to it it doesn't they're not unique in that regard you know i think sometimes people like to talk about video games as uniquely bad because they are interactive or whatever but it's like hey you know what uh the movie Top Gun caused the most uh air force signups you know in in history that movie even if I like it, is a is totally a piece of propaganda. Games can be propaganda in the same way. They can be propaganda either specifically for military violence or just generally for kind of the the concept of a, a violent world. Yeah. Well. 
Wow. Uh, well, there we go. Thank you, everyone, for writing in with your questions. I know we did this one uh, fairly soon after restarting this series, yeah. so uh, I really appreciate how thoughtful everyone was, and I, I hope you appreciate the uh, the conversations that we had because of this. In in the future, when you're listening to Sunday Run, whether it's episode one or episode four, whatever it may be, uh, you can hit us up with questions. We did a bad job saying that this season. We have an mm-hmm. email at somethingrottenpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet them at me, at Metallica's Rad, or DM me. I have way less followers than Jacob, so there's a better chance I'll see them than him. So just send them to me. That's true. But email is the best way of reaching us, and, yeah. and we will absolutely kind of log those questions for the next Q&A of the next series which we are totally doing uh in the nebula bonus episode we decided live on air what that series was going to be so for the rest of you uh you'll find out soon enough wow i thought we were going to tell them this episode but we're not we're little teases no we're we're letting them guess uh but as blake mentioned it is a first person shooter and yeah this is i think importantly some rotten is not going away uh, for two years again. You know, we're doing, we're recording the next series right now. We have plans to continue this. Uh, so keep listening. We, we we just really appreciate the amount of support the series has got so far. Go sign up to Nebula and you can hear what next season is. That's right. And give me some money to buy my dog <laughs> treats. Give Blake some money. Well, uh, that will do us for today. Uh, Blake... Thanks for answering questions with me. Thank you. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.